Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. to us. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them who, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the gospel, word of God for the people of God. 
good to be back. Sandra and I traveled to Sandusky, Ohio, and put in Bay and Port Clinton on vacation. And yes, Sam, we ate at the Jolly Roger. I figured you would know something about fish. <laughs> we traveled to Niagara Falls and we walked around the park. And then we went to drive past our old home near Medina, New York, the, the home we spent our first summer married together. And then we drove through New York and Pennsylvania on Route 219 and ended up in Elkins. Sunday morning, we surprised Andy at his churches in Beverly and Valley Chapel. And then we drove home. We stopped to see an old friend near Clarksburg on the way. And then Monday, Monday evening, we enjoyed the hospitality of the Gideons on a pastor appreciation boat cruise on the Ohio. And through all that, I was thinking and thinking. And God was sending things to me. So today, I'm starting a, a multi-part series on how to love one another. You know, we talk an awful lot about love one another, but I don't think I've ever heard any sermons on how do we love one another. When last we spoke, I gave a message which spoke of how being humble and forgiving and loving our neighbors is a key part of what being a Christian is, and that's much more important than living a perfect, sinless life for God forgives us of all the things we do wrong. As a loving father, God loves us for who we are, despite our bad behaviors. And at the core, God wants us to imitate Jesus and love other people. And he recognizes we will not be perfect at this. But trying to imitate Jesus and love other people, this is more important than following any specific rule or avoiding any particular mistakes. For God realizes we will always make mistakes, sinful mistakes. But loving others, that is difficult. Partly because the English language has only one word that describes four different types of love. The Greek language of the New Testament has more nuance having four different words for four types of love. To help you understand this, once Sandra sent me to the hardware store and asked for me to buy a quart of yellow paint for a wall at our office. She said something about getting a soft, buttery yellow. So I went to Ace Hardware and I picked out a yellow. It was called Rubber Ducky Yellow, just what you see on the screen there. Soft buttery yellow, yes. I liked it because it was yellow. And it certainly brightened up our office. In fact, you could see the reflection of the wall in the gray floor. It was roughly the color of butter, maybe a little bit brighter. And you know, all paint is soft, right? So this was a soft buttery yellow. Now at that time, I basically had one word to describe the color yellow yellow. But Sandra, she had a host of words to describe many different shades of yellow. And, you know, she could be a lot more subtle and nuanced about what she wanted. I was like a kid with an eight pack of crayons, but she had the 64 pack. So I had to learn some more nuance here. In Greek, Unlike English, there's four different words that, dis that are used for different types of love. There is eros, which is the physical love between a man and a woman. 
There's philia, which is the love between two brothers or two sisters. And there's storge, the affection a grandparent and grandchild show each other or a person has for his or her hometown. And there's agape, unselfish love given without need for anything in return. And in the New Testament, where we're speaking of loved one another, it always uses agape, unselfish love given without need for anything in return. So when Jesus tells us to love one another, to agape one another, we have to drop our more common ideas of love. After all, eros, physical love, that's transactional. It's a trading of pleasure for pleasure. Philia, brotherly love, is also transactional. As brothers or sisters, we trade our mutual support helping each other carry burdens through life. Even storge, affection, is transactional. We affect each other. We share good feelings with the object of our affection, whether a town or a grandchild or a grandparent. We even trade services for storge. Grandpa provides gifts while the grandchild brings him a hot drink. And the man may give military service for his country for which he has affection, while the country returns the affection with protection. But agape love just simply loves the object of the agape without any expectation of return. God agapes us with life, whether or not we choose to even believe in God. We agape God, knowing full well that there's nothing we can do which will in the least bit affect God. Notice, affect. It's the root of affection. With affection, we trade help for the other. With the other, we trade help. But with agape, we simply give. And that's what we're asked to do, agape each other. So why should we agape another? Our friends, our neighbors, our family? Why should we love in this way if we will get nothing in return? After all, we're so used to the other types of love being a trade, a series of transactions, that it's very difficult for us to naturally conceive of giving without hope of return. Well, there's three reasons why we should agape love our friends, neighbors, and relatives, and even strangers. First of all, Jesus gives us the command to love one another. If we accept that Jesus is Son of God, that should be enough reason. For Jesus is much wiser than us and should be the total Lord of our life. Just as if we were in the army, we should not question the orders of our Lord, but simply do what we're told to do. You know, in the army, we, might, we, we can question orders, but only if they're immoral or unethical orders given by someone with questionable morals and ethics. But Jesus has perfect morals and ethics. So we can't use that excuse to question his orders. He said love one another, and that should be enough. The second reason, if the first is not enough for you, is that a society filled with agape love is a society in which it is pleasant to reside. Although we give without expecting a gift in return, it often happens 
that people will see our good example of giving and begin to imitate it, giving back to other people and to us. A society with agape love is a good society to live in. And the third reason we should give is that there is joy that comes to us knowing that we have been generous. We know that we're doing the right thing and therefore we're developing the virtue of generosity. Just as lifting weights makes us feel good because we're developing the virtue of our strength, giving to others without need or hope of return makes us feel good because we realize that we're developing the virtue of generosity. We realize we're becoming better people. So we should agape love others because first, Jesus says to do it. Secondly, it leads to a better society around us. And third, we become better people when we do it, when we unselfishly give to others. But how can we love others in an agape way? In our Old Testament reading, God gives us an example. He sent Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was a city full of sin. Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want these people to come out of their sin because they were enemies of Israel. He hated these people. Instead, he wanted God to destroy the city. But after God persuaded Jonah to do what God asked by having Jonah tossed overboard during a storm and having Jonah swallowed by a whale, Jonah began to get the idea he probably ought to do what God asked. So Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached for three days, three days solid as he walked through the city. The people and the king of Nineveh all repented of their evil deeds. Jonah went outside to the east of the town though and he just waited. He wanted to see God destroy that city. Instead, God provided a very leafy plant to grow up and give Jonah shade and Jonah was very happy with that plant. Then the next morning, Jonah sent, God sent a worm to attack the plant, and it shriveled and died, destroying Jonah's shade. When Jonah grew upset about this, God pointed out two things to Jonah. First of all, the plant was a blessing provided by God. Jonah didn't have anything to do with it. And you know, so it is with many of our blessings perhaps even most of our blessings. We don't have anything to do with it. It's just simply grace given to us by God. And when the plant died, its death was also ordained by God. And once again, Jonah didn't have anything to do with it. Don't we often take credit for good things that happen to us? Our blessings, even when we really didn't have anything to do with it? And don't we often take credit even for the bad things that happen to us, the things that God sends to us as a test, even when we really didn't have anything to do with it? Second thing that God told Jonah, he pointed out that Jonah was so focused and concerned about this particular short-lived plant only because of Jonah's comfort or lack of comfort. And then Jonah asked, God asked Jonah why God shouldn't be concerned about the 120,000 people of Nineveh who didn't know right from wrong and all their livestock. You think they should just be killed? They're people too. 
It's a difference of perspective that we need to adopt for ourselves. Yes, God is paying attention to the details of your life. But you know, God is also paying attention to the details of everyone else's lives. From the lives of saints and bishops and pastors, to the lives of the newest of Christians, to the lives of those who have never heard of Jesus, and even to the lives of livestock and animals. God is concerned about the souls of everyone. To follow Jesus means for us to develop that same concern. And yet we are concerned about our air conditioning and our heating and our dishwasher. God's concerned about the souls of everyone. To follow Jesus means for us to develop the same concern about the people around us, the friends, the neighbors, the family, and even strangers. We are commanded to love one another, to love our neighbors, to pray for our enemies. I want you to think about Wood County. There's about 80,000 people in the county. And the surveys seem to show that of those people, only about 20,000 people attend church on an ordinary Sunday. And another 40,000, half the people in the county, claim to be Christians but don't attend church more than once or twice a year. Now some of these cannot attend due to health reasons, we understand. But most of them, when you ask, will say, well, I believe in God. And that's their justification for claiming to be Christians. Where does Jesus Christ fit in their theology? Where is their regular reading and study of Scripture? Where is their support for each other? And then there's another 20,000 people who don't even claim to be Christian. Now, unlike in many cities, we don't really have much of another religion in this town. Oh, there is a small mosque in Marietta, and there's kind of a, a quasi-synagogue, uh, the main synagogues in Charleston. There's no Hindu temple. There's no Buddhist shrine. So there's roughly 20,000 people in Wood County who don't have any religion. From God's perspective, here are over 20,000 people who do not know God's Son, Jesus Christ, and maybe as many as 30 or 40,000 additional people just in Wood County. Think of the terrible pity that God has for all these people, God's lost children, who do not know God's love. As one of God's children who does know and love God, what will each of us do? What will you do about it? But instead, like Jonah, we often think of our own comfort, our un own uncomfortableness about talking to people we don't know. Jonah, you know, he was blessed by the shade of the plant, and then he was angry when the plant died and the blessing went away. But what about the tens of thousands of our neighbors who don't even recognize a blessing from God when they receive it? What are the tens of thousands of souls of our neighbors who will spend eternity apart from God and the love of Christ? That's God's concern, not our comfort. Is it your concern? In today's gospel reading from Matthew 20, 
Jesus tells us another parable about the kingdom of heaven. A vineyard owner goes downtown to a place to hire some laborers. Now, most major cities have these places. In Atlanta, there are various corners around the city where men gather early in the morning to be hired for landscaping or construction, just looking for work for a day or, or two. Business owners would drive by with their pickup and, and shout out, I need five strong men to spread mulch today or I need two carpenters and two helpers and a plumber to build a house today. And there'd be a quick negotiation for wages and the men would pile into the back of the truck, go to the job site, be brought back at the end of the day and paid off. And the next day the scene would repeat itself. In the parable, the vineyard owner hires some men early in the morning to work in the vineyard, either pruning the vines or picking grapes. He tells them he'll pay them a denarius that's a common silver coin of the time, which was a laborer's regular day's wages. In today's money, it'd be worth about $100, since a day's work was typically 12 to 14 hours. Around 9 a.m., the landowner sees some other unemployed men and hires them also, saying he'll pay them what's right. And twice later, at noon and three in the afternoon, he does the same. He even finds some men at five o'clock in the evening and hires them too. And as the sun is setting that evening, a bit after six o'clock, he has the foreman line the men up to be paid. He has the last ones get paid out first, and the first ones that were hired at sun sunrise be the, the last ones to be paid off. And amazingly, he pays every man a denarius, whether they've worked all day or just an hour. And so some of the men who started work so early in the day thought they should be paid more. But the landowner answered them, look, I'm not being unfair. You agreed to work all day for a denarius, didn't you? This is my money. I've got every right to pay you what I want. And I wanted to be generous to these men, just as I was generous in hiring you this morning. And you jumped at the chance to work for a denarius. Don't be jealous of them just because I'm generous to them. Look at how generous God and Christ are. You know, we still today have trouble understanding that God is so very generous that the person who comes to worship God in Christ as a child and continues their whole life will be given a good reward, but also that God will give the very same reward to those who come to God in Christ just an hour before they die. God's generosity does not hurt us, but instead gives us an example of how we should behave in our lives how generous we should be. Now, you know we've all seen people who act as though there's only a limited number of openings in heaven. St. Peter, he's standing at the pearly gates, they think, and says, sorry, we've only got room for one billion people and you're the, hundred, you're the one billion in first person. Sorry, go home. We've also known people who somehow think the heaven is a lifeboat with just 21 people allowed on board. Sorry, uh, you're the 22nd person. You've got to swim on your own for eternity as we snuggle down in our seat in the lifeboat. But you know, we know that there's an unlimited number of seats in the lifeboat, and heaven can hold every person who's ever lived or will ever live, and God offers everyone the same reward for following him. We just don't think for some reason that it's fair that people who come after us should get the same as what we've got. 
It doesn't matter, though, if you're descended from 20 pastors in a row or whether you've just managed to get sober and are still fighting cravings for your addiction. It doesn't matter if you are a billionaire or homeless. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a drug pusher. It doesn't matter if you've been a loyal spouse, faithfully married for 60 years, or, who has, or if you've slept with 30 other people of various genders. God and Christ are waiting to greet you when you say to them, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Please forgive me and take over my life. Become my Lord and I'll do the best to follow you and your teachings. Guide me through life beginning right now. God and Christ offer you the gifts of forgiveness and of acceptance and eternal life. And you know, once we've begun to follow Jesus, we should take a look at the rest of the men waiting for the vineyard owner and encourage them to join us, even though they will be rewarded the very same way we are. And this is part of what it means to love one another in an agape way. A good way to look at this is through the five key vows we make when we join the church. We promise to give of our prayers and our presence and our gifts and our service and our witness. And over the next few weeks, we'll look at each of these in detail. Loving others through prayers, loving others through our presence, loving others through our gifts, loving others through our service, loving others through our witness. Today, I'm going to spend just a couple minutes here discussing how we love others through our prayers. Now, Donna's printed out some copies of our updated directory, and they're available out in the entranceway. So please take a copy for yourself and your family. And now comes the loving others part that goes with that. I'd like to challenge each of you to pray for the people on the list, all of them, the people who are in this room today, the people who are on vacation today, now, you can pray deeply for one person a day or pray for a person in the morning and a different person in the evening, or you could pray for 10 people a day and repeat, or you could pray for the whole list every day or the whole list over the course of a week. You can change your pattern every day. It doesn't really matter. Do what you can. Pick a person to pray for every day this week and then move on to a different person next week maybe and get to know something about the person you're praying for. Maybe you might send them a card or a letter or an email telling them that you're praying for them or you have prayed for them this week. This is one way we love each other, other how we love other people in our church through prayers. And then there's the people outside the church. Make a list of a dozen people outside the church, people who, as far as you know, don't know Jesus. Begin praying for them in the same way, but especially ask for God to send someone to each of the people who will speak to them about Jesus and God and their salvation. And if you don't know their names, that's okay. You might think of someone as the checkout worker at Dollar General. Just put that down until you find out their names. But pray for God to move in their lives and bring these people to Jesus. And remember, you don't need to know much about them to begin with. They might be a Jonah. They might be a Billy Graham. Or they might be a Ninevite. All we care about is that they're a human, created in the image of God, a child of God who we think is estranged from their heavenly father. Notice that Jonah was even estranged from his heavenly father for a while. 
Pray for their relationship to be restored with God. Third, there's another group of people. That's our enemies. List our enemies and pray for them. Pray for your enemies, Jesus said. Pray for them to become solid followers of Jesus. And finally, as the political season revs up, pray for our politicians, that they will begin to listen more and more to the Holy Spirit, that they may begin to make their decisions more and more in deference to what God asks rather than what their politics ask. Pray that they will become deeper and deeper followers of Jesus and that their decisions and votes and campaigns will reflect this and don't just list people from the other party. Pick people from our party too, whichever party you belong to. And over the next few weeks, we'll be talking more and more about exactly how to love one another as Jesus commands all Christians. So I'll see you next week. Bring a friend. And as we sing this song, you might want to come up to the altar and begin to develop the habit of loving one another through prayer. Come to the altar and pray for someone. You can kneel, you can raise your arms in prayer. It doesn't matter, but please pray for someone and you'll find that your love for them naturally grows. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.